Oh, what are we doing, Luke? What are we watching? How much blood is coming out of this man? What the hell just happened? What are you looking at? Darkness? Yeah, darkness. The head went all the way in. I knew that was coming out tonight. Welcome to the Review to Death podcast. I'm Marcus. And I'm Luke. Welcome to Lovecraftian Summer, everyone. Get in the pool, get in touch with the uh, the deep ones, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. We hope you listened to our teaser that came out. And if you did, you know that we're watching movies based on or inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Since uh, Lovecraft has got a bit of a jaded past, we wanted to address that before we got into our movie tonight. Like Marcus said, before we jump into our Lovecraftian summer segment, uh, I feel like a little history on the titular man himself is in order. So join us for a few minutes while we talk about one of the most influential horror writers in history, whose story is nothing if not tragic and at times very problematic. Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born in Providence, Rhode Island on August 20th in 1890, but would spend most of his life in New England. He lived a very privileged life as a young boy, as his family was very wealthy thanks to his affluent grandfather. Things begin to go very wrong for the Lovecrafts, however, beginning with Howard's father being institutionalized for becoming, quote unquote, acutely psychotic when Howard was three. He would die five years later due to syphilis. The death of his grandfather came next, which quickly led the family into poverty. And in 1919, his mother too would be institutionalized due to mental health issues in the same exact asylum that his father had been in, and she would die there two years later. At this point, Lovecraft suffered an intense nervous breakdown and began to focus entirely on writing. Lovecraft moved to New York with his new, soon-to-be ex-wife, where he started to write for Weird Tales, which would turn out to be his most prominent publisher. Lovecraft would return to Providence alone and impoverished in 1926, where he would create some of his most famous works until his death at the age of 46 from intestinal cancer. Lovecraft is regarded as one of the most influential writers of the 20th century, and his works have inspired countless others, such as Stephen King, Guillermo del Toro, Jinji Ito, H.R. Giger, among many others. He was also an incredibly racist guy, which we feel is something we can't ignore if we're going to be spending the summer with his works that owe their existence to him directly or indirectly. Because racism is taught, I want to preface H.P.'s views on race with the fact that when Lovecraft was nine, his family acquired a cat that they would name Niggerman, which would become one of his favorite pets. His views on race and how non-Anglo-Saxon races were inferior would only get more severe as he grew older. He would also include into his worldview classism and elitism, which is ironic considering he died basically penniless. Lovecraft's main issue was with race mixing, of which he was an outspoken critic. In one of his most famous works, Shadow Over Innsmouth, his subtext becomes text when the quote-unquote deep ones, grotesque creatures from Lovecraft's mythos, interbreed with humans in the town of Innsmouth, corrupting everything and everyone. By the time Lovecraft was in his 20s, his xenophobia and fear of acquiring mental illness like his parents and his ex-wife seeped into his works of fiction. His time spent in New York also made him deeply hateful towards immigrants as there was an influx of immigration at that time. It also bears mention that he was a pretty hardcore anti-Semite. That's a very brief overview of H.P. Lovecraft and knowing this, whether or not you can separate the art from the artist is ultimately up to you. 
It's hard to argue that his influence is pretty much everywhere these days after his works were rediscovered in the 1980s and 90s. And for me personally, it helps that his works have had genuinely positive influences in modern society. The Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game, for example, has been bringing people together for decades. And as a horror fan, movies like The Reanimator and the one we're going to be discussing tonight are genuine treats. The man himself has also sparked meaningful discussion about race. And I think it's important to know who he was if you're to spend time in his world. Yeah, you know, exactly, Luke. It's You can't separate his work from his views. They go together, but you can appreciate what his visions and what his creative work has done for horror. I want to start off by saying that if you are looking to research yourself on H.P. Lovecraft, definitely do not start with the Wikipedia article. As many of you know, Wikipedia is can be a great resource, but it is publicly edited. And if you were to read his Wikipedia article, you would see that people that have written the article on him for that page have insisted that as his as he grew older his views started to change and that's just simply not true he he was as racist as he was as an old man as he was a young man and so instead i want to point you to a couple of articles that i'm going to link in the description of every single podcast that we do for lovecraftian summer they deal with many things there's a very nice article uh, by vox that deals with the wonderful book and show lovecraft country which both luke and i watched and really enjoyed and are upset that they didn't renew for a second season. The more important article that I'm going to leak below, it's not really an article, it's sort of a blog post by a woman named Dr. Nettie Okorafor, who was the first black person to win the World Fantasy Award. And this was back in 2011. As some of you may not know, the World Fantasy Award, the award itself is a bust of H.P. Lovecraft. That's right. I actually used the Vox article uh, extensively for for my research and and that was brought up in uh in that article as well Uh, i'm going to link the whole blog post below but um i wanted to read one section from it that i believe fits what we're trying to say about lovecraft and separating his views from his art and being able to appreciate his art while also acknowledging the views that he had and so this is the last paragraph from dr okorafor's blog post after she won the award and i quote her says i too am deeply honored to win the world fantasy award for best novel It feels so, so, so right and so, so good. The awards jury was clearly progressive and looking in a new direction. I am the first black person to win the World Fantasy Award for Best Novel since its inception in 1975. Lovecraft is probably rolling in his grave or maybe having become spirit, his mind has cleared of the poisons and now understands the error of his ways. Maybe he is pleased that a book set in and about Africa in the future has won an award crafted in his honor. Yeah, I'll go with that image. That's great. That's a great quote. I I can't stress enough how great this blog post is. She really explains herself well and how she feels about winning the award and and then, you know, discovering a lot of his views afterwards. And um, she actually, she talked to another friend of hers who won the World Fantasy Award. His name is China Mayville, who uh, has also written quite a few uh, horror, sci-fi, Lovecraftian books, which are really great. So please read that blog post. It's going to be down in the description. And then before we went on, we move into our movie tonight, I wanted to leave you with one more quote. And it comes from a black horror writer named Victor Lavalley. And he quotes, Lovecraft is so woven in, I think for horror as a whole, it would feel to me a little bit like removing an arm. And so instead, I feel like an alternative choice is to identify the illness and then maybe you can save the arm. Well said. Well put. 
Agreed. As we go through these movies, we are uh, we are going to talk about you know sort of the images that he's created, how things that happen in these movies related to things that he's created, and how influential it is to horror in general. But before we start, again, I want to say please read those articles in our description and do your own research. You will uh, learn quite a few interesting things. Definitely do your own research. Absolutely. That being said, let's start with our first movie, which we watched last year when we were just writing reviews. And it's a, it's a Lovecraft movie that's based on an actual story of his, a short story called Color Out of Space. And this is the 2019 version starring Nick Cage that was made by Elijah Wood's production company, and it's on Shudder. Uh, there are a couple other versions of Colorado Space, but this is the one we're talking about tonight. So this was directed by a guy named Richard Stanley, who is a, well, he's a, kind of a problematic guy in his own right. But he directed a, a couple of cold classics in the early 90s. Uh, one is called Hardware. One is called Dust Devil. I, I've seen Hardware. I don't think I've ever seen Dust Devil. And Hardware is pretty awesome. I've also seen Hardware, but it's been quite a long time. Yeah, I think me and you actually watch it together. It's about the, the killer robot and like the apartment complex that's running around, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We did watch that. Yeah. Based on the strength of those two movies, uh, in, in 1996, he would end up winning the, I guess, the bid for director for The Island of Dr. Moreau. Don't watch this movie. Starring <laughs> starring Bra uh, Marilyn Brando uh, and Val Kilmer. Don't watch this movie. No, don't watch the movie, but you should totally watch the, uh, the documentary on the movie because I, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole with this one a little bit. And um, there is a, uh, a documentary also on, also on Shutter, it's called uh, Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it to, to anybody interested in, uh, you know, cinema and how movies are made and how movies can go horribly, horribly wrong. Because, <laughs> man, uh, everything that could have gone wrong on that movie went wrong. The point of, of bringing this up is because uh, after 1996, he, Richard Stanley, basically quit directing he's like i'm not ever directing a movie ever again and it wasn't until 2019 when color out of space uh you know came around that he he finally decided to step back you know behind the camera and direct a movie and uh and yeah it was a hp lovecraft adaptation like marcus said it was a short story uh the the plot uh, is, is pretty simple. It's uh, a secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite, which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. Yeah. So Color Out of Space is, is a visual and audio experience not to be missed. It's a confusing movie to describe and talk about. There is so much to look at and so much to hear and experience. And it's just like an assault on your senses, but it's all really enjoyable and it starts with the man who stars in this movie that guy being none other than nicholas fucking cage nick cage is in this movie this is a this is a cage pick you guys and uh it's one of the better ones definitely one of the better contemporary ones he plays uh, nathan gardner this, this is the gardner family his wife is Teresa. he's they got uh three kids uh lavinia who's into uh you know wiccan right she's a wiccan yeah which which stuff which stuff? They have another uh, teenage son. His name is uh, Benny, and they have a, a, a look. A little boy. His name is Jack. He's played by Julian uh, 
Hilliard. He was the guy that was in the haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor and stuff like that, right? That's right. He's an awesome, awesome little kid actor. He's one of the best I've ever seen. And they also have a little, uh, not little, they have a dog named Sam. And, uh, you know, it's a horror movie and there's a pet. They're probably not going to make it. So just this little spoiler there. I'm going to preface this by saying that, you know, we're going to be discussing some plot details. So there will be some spoilers for this uh, relatively newer movie. So it's really easy to compare this movie with another Nick Cage movie that came out before it called Mandy, which uh, Luke and I both seen. Luke liked it a bit better than I did. But the important thing to remember is that Though Nick Cage does get pretty unhinged in this movie, it's not to the level of like Mandy unhinged. Oh, no, not at all. In fact, uh, I mean, he's pretty much the straight man up until about what, like the hour mark of this. Mm -hmm. How long? This is uh, an hour and 51 minutes. It's quite a while before, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking for some 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 rage cage uh you you get to see it but it's it's you have to wait a little bit for it but that doesn't make the movie any less interesting i did not see the other two versions of colorado space but i did read the short story and i in my opinion this has got to be one of the most faithful adaptations of any lovecraft work really seems like richard stanley who directed and wrote is really a big fan of lovecraft and the short story colorado space is sort of told in narration by this like water surveyor guy and that's in the movie too like the first thing that you see on screen is like some scenes of the forest and there's like a voiceover you know and that's supposed to be like the narrator and that's pretty much right out of the book and it's like the story is told through the point of view of this surveyor and that's how the movie works too for the most part yeah and that's uh that's ward right ward phillips he's the hydrologist yes whatever (laughs) Yeah, hey, you know who uh, who else uh, loves this short story? Just my my quick research on the on the internet's there. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. This is his favorite short story that he wrote. It is a good short story. I I enjoyed it. Uh, the other things they changed for this one is that they updated the names a bit. Like the main character is Nathan Gardner in the movie, but in the book it's Nahum or something like that, which you may pronounce the same way, but it's spelled different. And then in the book he's got three boys, but in the movie it's one girl and two boys. Um, and then there's, there's like a, you know, like an old quack, like hippie guy that lives in the forest. And in the movie, his name's Ezra in the book, it's something else. And, uh, Ezra in the, in the, um, in the movie is played fantastically by, uh, Tommy Chong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's just a squatter that's like living on their land. And, uh, Nathan's totally cool with it. He's just like, yeah, that's fine. He's not bothering anybody. Everything's good and everything's fine in Gardner land. You know, they're out, they're out in the countryside living in the sticks. As, uh, Nathan Gardner says, his, his wife, Teresa, uh, works online, uh, you know, for like some stock trading shit. She's recovering from cancer and, uh, Nick Cage is, uh, raising some alpacas, man. <laughs> that's right yeah he uh so he, he moved into this onto this alpaca farm uh it's his uh deceased dad's farm and uh yeah he moved his family out there uh to help with his wife's recovery i, I think she had a mastectomy is what they mentioned in the movie um and uh yeah there's uh, alpacas and uh the alpacas become uh <laughs> quite a point of discussion yeah from there they're having like a dinner scene this this scene made me laugh because uh <laughs> for whatever reason like nick cage makes like the most like labor intensive french dish you could ever make called cassoulet which takes like days to make and he presents it to his kids and his kids are like oh i'm not yeah. eating that shit it looks like shit 
<laughs> and then he says, well, wait until you have alpaca meat next season. Hey, did they have alpacas in the short story? No, they did not. No, that's that's a Richard Stanley special. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Nick Cage special, man. I feel like that's something that like Nick Cage walked in. He's like, there's got to be alpacas in this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. I could see it. Like, All right, I'll do this movie, but uh, only if there's alpacas. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear him saying it. <laughs> The first thing that I really like about this movie is the use of sound. And you get that right off the bat because everything's fine until that first night that you, after you've been introduced to this family, the family's all in their respective rooms or doing their things. You know, Lavinia, his daughter's doing her uh, witchcraft thing. She's looking like cause the, the Necronomicon is in her room, you know? Yeah, but it's like sweet though, because she's doing this uh, Wiccan stuff so that her mom's uh, cancer doesn't come back. Like it's actually, it's pretty, it's like touching. It's nice. Right. Um, Jack is like wandering around in the hallways and Benny is just in his room, like on his computer and uh, Nathan Gardner and his wife are settling in for some uh, sexy time for the first time since her recovery. Teresa, his wife, she um, has some body image issues, you know, she's had this mastectomy and uh, she doesn't feel like, uh, you know, she's ready for that. Uh, by the way, Teresa's played by, uh, I want to say her name wrong. Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson, who I remember from Nip Talk, which I used to love Nip Talk back in the day. I don't know if anybody listening remembers Nip Talk, but uh, yeah, she's really good in this. Yeah, I didn't watch that show, but I always uh, associate her with Event Horizon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was uh, she was in Event Horizon. That's right. Things change when this meteorite hits just outside their property. And the way that it crashes in is that, like, you get, like, this really uh, intense rumble and, like, bright white that changes to magenta, which is sort of the theme for this movie is the color magenta. And it's really interesting because in the short story... Lovecraft describes this color, this color out of space, as to being like this color that you you can experience. It's like the human eye doesn't see it, doesn't feel it. It's something otherworldly. And in the movie, they use the word they use the color magenta, which um, doesn't exist as a single wavelength of light. So it's like not part of the spectrum. So that's sort of like a cool little thing because like how are you gonna how are you gonna experience color? that's not a color you know and it's a, and it's a great choice because it, it is it gives the whole movie a, a very you know otherworldly feel uh you know that the the movie you know after the meteorite crashes in their front lawn which is like right next to their well which that becomes a a plot point and not good for the gardner family but it permeates the movie you, you see magenta a lot uh there's you know there's uh lens flares uh galore uh, and just, you know, this magenta light just, you know, fills the camera at times. And, uh, you know, and like Marcus mentioned, the score uh, just really sells it. Like, you know, there's some weird, not good things happening and uh, definitely sells that feeling of dread. I like how the, the colors, the, the magenta color shows up in like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like it hides itself in the background a lot. Like you'll just like be looking and there's like the magenta tint to something. You're like, oh, that's it. It's there. It sort of like weaves itself in and out. As the movie goes on, more things become magenta. Like by the end of the movie, like the whole fucking forest is magenta, you know, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, once the, uh, you know, the meteor after that first first night, it uh, disappears. And uh, and then they, they see it in the well. Uh, and then next thing you know, uh, their front lawn starts growing these 
strange alien looking flowers right and they're what color are they magenta that's another thing from the short story uh what what this color out of space does is that it makes things grow in weird and wild ways and it also makes like the fruits and vegetables that they're growing on the land like grow big and they look like they're going to be like the best thing in the world but when you try to eat them it tastes really bad and it like it, it starts affecting the livestock so like the things that come from the livestock taste really bad <laughs> yeah this is a kind of a great scene well it's like you know nick cage's character nathan he, he starts smelling something that only he can smell and nobody else can so it's driving him crazy he loses his shit right away too it's like after the meteorite hits nick cage yeah. is like starting in on the rage so did you smell right. that yeah, yeah, it's starting to build, but you you don't get it for a while yet. And then uh, I think you really start to see it when, uh, like you were saying, when they he goes to to you know pick the tomatoes, which are like super huge, and he's like, "Yeah, this is gonna be awesome." And then he bites into it, and it just you know he's like, just it, it, you can see on his face, it's like it's disgusting, and he just starts biting into like one tomato after the other, and then he starts dunking them into the trash. <laughs> tomato slam dunk scene, man. <laughs> full classic Nick Cage just losing it like throwing stuff into the bin and, and like NBA jamming it in there boom shakalaka with those tomatoes before uh, things start to get really crazy with the Gardner family we do meet Chami Chong's character out in the forest his name's Ezra I think uh, Benny and uh, the surveyor ward go out there right right he, his, his purpose is to like you know be like the legend teller Right. Yeah. He's, I don't know what, he has uh, some kind of background in uh, surveillance or whatever, right? Because he set up like uh, cameras and stuff around his uh, little shack, right? He's uh, basically, he, Tommy Chong plays Tommy Chong. He hangs out and smokes weed a lot. He's got a, he's got a cat named G-Spot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> we forgot to mention uh, before the tomato scene, there's that, that scene with uh, Teresa when she's uh, gotten some some produce for dinner oh dude it's the dark and the wicked all over again man it's exactly like that <laughs> <laughs> she's cutting she's like absentmindedly cutting the carrots and then she cuts her fingers off and she's like oh i had an accident yeah she just kind of like nonchalantly like walks into the living room or no oh no it's jack that finds it right yeah because like uh, yeah because Nathan's like, go get your mom. And little Jack, you know, he's like, hey, mommy. And that's the moment where she cuts her fingers off and like blood hits Jack in the face. And and she's just like, she does. It's like she doesn't even care. He's like, oh, I think I hurt myself. So, um, you know, off to the uh, hospital they go. It's after this meeting with Ezra that um, Ward starts to have some doubts about the quality of the water that they're drinking out of the well. You know, which obviously there's an alien thing in it, right? Yeah. I mean, you can like see like when they run the water, there's some close-ups and you can see like little like slime tendrils coming out of it at times. So it's, it's definitely not good to drink, but the, uh, the gardens are definitely drinking it. And uh, Ward has a bit of a supernatural experience himself that night. He's like going back to his campsite and his, uh, like his car turns on, you know, like the radio turns on by itself. The really cool thing that I noticed for this is that he's holding a book. I don't know if you saw this look, Luke, um, like when the lights of his car turn on and he's not in it, he holds up his, he like shields his eyes with this book. And the book is The Willows by this guy named Algernon Blackwood. And uh, it's uh, it was one of H.P. Lovecraft's favorite books. It was like he considered it to be like the best piece of supernatural literature that he'd ever read. read. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. That's awesome. And, it, and it's after this that uh, things start to go south quickly. Yeah. So 
here's where we start to get into um, some body horror, right? Yeah, Nathan yeah, starts man, to see this that is, this... this is difficult to watch. Well, before we get, to, I know <laughs> the part you're talking about, but uh, the first thing we notice is Nathan's skin starts to change on his arms, right? It's almost like a rash. Yeah, and it's magenta, of course. Yep, yep, of course it is. Uh, and then he notices, or no, was it who? Someone notices that there's uh, something wrong with the alpacas. Was it Benny? I can't remember who it was. But, yeah, I think uh, it was Benny. Like, he's like, yeah, you got to go check out the uh, check out the alpacas, and uh, he goes in there, and the alpacas have gotten the thing treatment. Oh yeah, this is a straight up homage to the dog scene from Thing. I mean, it looks exactly like it. It it does. It's awesome. And it's a good homage, man. I liked it. I, I did too. It's uh, it, it's really well done. I, I think basically what's happened is uh, all the alpacas have amalgamated into this uh, giant fleshy monster thing. And uh, well, there'll be no alpaca meat for next summer. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Because uh, Nick, Nick Cage grabs a shotgun and he just he goes crazy. And Nick Cage is out and... Uh, shoots every single one of those heads and blows them off you get a gnarly head explosion oh yeah oh yeah yeah oh by the way we we should mention too uh we find out you know when uh nathan took Teresa to the hospital she cut her fingers off uh, you know the kids you know things are weird they're just getting weirder and weirder they're trying to call their parents the parents are trying to call them and the phones just aren't working anymore they're just like they're like there's like a weird voice coming from the receiver yeah, you can't really hear it's what it's saying, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's just very creepy. Uh, so you know, they're this house that they're in, this farm is pretty isolated. I forget what they say how far away it is from like the nearest you know civilization or whatever, but uh, they're they're pretty much cut off at this point. Yeah, they say that it's actually. I think they say it's like thirty to forty-five minutes outside the town of Arkham, which uh, is another huge. Oh, that's right. Another another huge Lovecraft thing, you know. Arkham is where where the shit happens. Yeah, yeah. There's actually like a isn't there's like a weather report, right? They're watching on TV and uh, weather in Innsmouth, Innsmouth. I can't ever how to say that. Yeah, name Innsmouth before, but... and Dunwich and yep. Yeah, all the all the all the Lovecraft towns. The the greatest hits there. Yep. This is another area where the short story is really evident in this movie, in that um, in the in the short story they. They describe, or Lovecraft describes about how this color out of space, like, starts to manipulate things. Like, we've already talked about the produce and the animals, and but it also starts to manipulate time a little bit. And you see that in Benny, like he said, like he was outside, and it's like it's daytime, and now all of a sudden it's night. And um, this color starts to infect the people themselves. Like, we've already talked about it with Nathan Gardner, Nick Cage's character, about how it's like he's got this rash on his arm. And um, there's this pretty cool scene where, like, they've got, like, these magenta tendrils coming out of the well and then also, like, shooting out of the barn area where the alpaca is. And this is the other bit of uh, body horror that I was mentioning, which was really hard to watch because when this giant burst of magenta white light comes out of this barn, uh, Jack and Teresa are in its path and it washes over them. And then when the light leaves... Um, Teresa and Jack get the alpaca treatment. Yeah, now it's the Teresa and and Jack. They're like fused together, uh, and it looks horrific. And the noises that the the two characters oh, are making it's the are worst. horrific. Yeah, it's, it's just the like worst. It's indescribable. You're just like, oh my god, just put them out of their 
out of their misery, but he doesn't do that. Nathan doesn't. No, he, he can't. Yeah, so he uh, he throws them in the uh, in the attic um, in in the house. There's a really bizarre scene where, like, later on, he was gonna go like put them out of their misery, and he holds the shotgun to his wife's head, and then and like they're breathing. They're like, I mean, it's obvious that there's nothing that anybody can do. They're fused together. Think thing again. And they're in a lot of pain and they're squealing and. He puts a shotgun up to her head, but then he takes it away and he goes and like French kisses her a couple times. Oh God, yeah. Oh, and then when so he kisses man. her, like slime comes off of her mouth and like magenta got, slime. Like, yeah, oh, man. This one's this is by far the roughest the movie gets for sure. And then he's like, "No, we're gonna find help for you," and he walks away. And it comes back to play later because they're still changing. You know, they're not gonna be like that for a while, and so he gets into an argument with his daughter, who's like gone back into her room and done some like pagan shit now and like carved words and symbols into her forehead and her arms and stuff like that. Right. He's like, what'd you do? Her, his eye color, her eye color is changing and her hair is changing. And, uh, and he's like yelling at her and he's like, uh, and you're like, go now it's time to go feed your mother. And he throws her in there and locks her in the room with this thing. Oh man. This is, this is the scariest part of the fucking movie, man. Cause it's like, she throws her in there. And you can still see the shape of, you know, the Teresa, you know, Jack monster in that corner of the room. And then it just like lunges at her. And now it looks like 10 times worse. <laughs> and it like walk, it's like walking around all weird. And it's, it's like on top of her and <clears throat> it's got like the bared teeth in her face. And this is when Ward and the cop from Arkham show up because, uh, you know, he's in they, they, they talk to Nathan first and they open the door. He answers the door and he's like, we've been having a rough go of it over here in the sticks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Understatement of the year. <laughs> and then he hears, and then they hear the scream coming from upstairs. So they bust in there and see the crazy fucking shit that's happening, you know, and the ward tries to help Lavinia and uh, the sheriff is trying to help too. And then uh, Nick Cage busts in with the shotgun and, and blows it away. Yeah, then he then he shoots his little kid too, right? He turns yeah, it over and because the yeah. whole thing is rough, man. It's rough. Yeah, it's uh, it's real bad. It's real, real bad. And after this, it's uh, they they go and check on uh, Ezra, right? Warden, Warden, the sheriff. He's uh, he's gone, right? Like I forget exactly what happened to him. He's like, like a husk. Like he's been like decimated. I don't even. I, that's right. And then on the way out, the sheriff gets snagged uh, and he gets like, he gets killed by these um, tentacle things. So at this point, I think the only characters left are Ward and La- Lavinia, right? Oh, because Benny, we forgot about Benny. Benny thought he heard somebody in the well. You know, it's the, the, the color basically tricking him to, you know, go down the well. And then he just gets absorbed into the well. That's the last we see of Benny. Benny's pretty useless in this movie, man. He doesn't do much. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, he just gets messed with with his, uh, you know, his time. Yeah, no, Lavinia and Ward are left because uh, the sheriff has shot Nick Cage's Nathan Gardner because it looked like he was going to shoot Ward. This was before, you know, like the sheriff got eaten up by the tendrils. And so he gets, Ward gets back to the house and like, there's just like magenta everywhere. It's flashing lights, really disorienting sounds. And, you know, Lavinia looked, and this is pretty pretty awesome shot like she's got like the blood dripping out of her eyes and her eyes are a different color and like the symbols that she's carved into her body is like glowing a little bit you know pretty sure i'm pretty sure this was the scene they do a close-up of her eye and her eyes they're doing this uh this splitting thing uh they kind of look like a figure eight 
the alpaca eyes were doing that too. Which, uh, which is a theme that will, I think, will find permeate some of these movies. Ward is like talking to Lavinia, and Lavinia is like, you know, spouting off some stuff and making her little speech, and and then you see Nick Cage in the background, who actually is like standing up, and he's back around, and then like it just explodes and this like fantastic magenta color of light. Lavinia is like, oh, it's so beautiful. And then uh, Ward, like he ran into the uh, the wine cellar and locked himself down there to, you know, escape all this craziness. And then, yeah, next thing you know, it's it's the next day and he, you know, he comes out, everything is gone. You get a little bit more like narration right from the book. And uh, then, the, then the movie ends pretty much. He's like, it was just a color out of space, a messenger. And then, uh, then the movie ends. So, give me your final thoughts on Color Out of Space. I uh, I really enjoyed it. I remember when we watched this last year. I didn't know what to think. You know, it had some positive you know buzz behind it, but I didn't, haven't heard much about it. But it was uh, such a such a surprise to find what a, what a great movie this was. It's uh, it's awesome. There's you know there's a couple of it's, it's low budget, so there's a couple of things in there that you know aren't the best special effects wise, but you know far and away it's uh it's great it's really well done some awesome practical stuff it's well paced you get uh nick cage you who just acts the shit out of it he, he does a great job you know it's not just nick cage raging out he's he does a, an actually a, a good job so um yeah it's uh it's very very highly recommended for me i like this movie quite a bit and i'm a little bit surprised that i like it as much as i do like you said luke it really surprised me when i saw it the first time and now watching it like a year later Man, I still really, really enjoy it. Uh, back when we first watched this and we did a review, I gave it a ten out of ten, and it's easily still a ten out of ten for me. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the episode that uh, Richard Stanley was also kind of a controversial guy. Well, you know, the plan was to do like a, a trilogy of uh, of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, stories turned to uh, to film. His some of his more you know more famous ones uh, that we've already mentioned on here. Uh, and that was the plan originally. Uh, you know, this movie was really well received, but then it turned out, uh, you know, Richard Stanley has some domestic abuse issues. Um, so, you know, right back to director jail, he goes. So there's there's no no plans for any further, unfortunately, which uh, which is a shame because uh, for many reasons, uh, it's a uh, we would have would have loved to have seen more of this. But, uh, you know, Richard Stanley, kind of a shitty guy, apparently. That closes the book on Color Out of Space, a movie that both of us enjoyed. We highly recommend it, so go watch it. And uh, since the man of the hour with this movie is none other than Nick the Rage Cage, without further ado, it's match the Nick Cage quote to the movie quiz time. I'm going to give you 10 quotes, and I will tell you ahead of time that I do not repeat any of the movies. So it's 10 quotes from 10 different movies. Okay, awesome. Got it. Each quote is worth two points, but you can still salvage a point if you need a hint. Okay, sounds good. All right, Luke, here's number one. Oh, no, not the bees, not the bees. Ah, oh, they're in my eyes, my eyes. Ah, ah. <laughs> oh man, that's the uh, that's the classic Wicker Man remake. 
I had to go with that one because it was the first one and it's the most recognizable from that. <laughs> but man, this movie is full of ridiculous quotes. The other one that I really wanted to use is uh, he says something like, oh, what do you got in that handbag? Sharks? <laughs> Dude, that movie is a gold mine for stuff like that. You can use the how to get burned, how to get burned. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a fun bad watch. All right, number two. I just stole 50 cars in one night. I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. Oh, shit, man. That's uh, gone in 50 seconds. 60 seconds? 60 seconds. Yeah, you got it. You got two points for that one. Good job, man. All right, next one. That was my favorite shirt. (laughs) Is that Mandy? That is Mandy. It's the tiger shirt, man. Oh, I love that scene. (laughs) Rip my shirt. <laughs> All right, man, you're doing good so far. You're uh, you're three for three. I'm nervous now. Uh, you should be getting nervous, man, because we're getting into <laughs> some territory of stuff you might not have seen. All right, here oh, we go. Boy. All right, next one. I'll be taking these huggies and whatever cash you got. Oh, oh, is that uh, raising Arizona? You got it, man. Really nice. young I Nick love Cage. That. Love that movie. I actually don't really like that movie. I don't know something about no? the. I don't know. There's a feel about it that it just doesn't jive with me. Well, it's been probably like 15 years since I've seen it, but I remember liking it. Maybe I'll, I'll have to revisit it sometime. All right, next one. You're doing great so far. And I'm going to I'm gonna try to throw on his terrible accent for this quote. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Sorry, boss, but there's only two men I trust. One of them's me and the other's not you. Con Air? You got it, man. Good job. Nice, nice. We're making our way through the classics. Oh, yeah. These are, these are all great <laughs> movies. <laughs> all right, man. Next one. You're halfway through and you're perfect so far. All right. Here we go. Well, I'm one of those fortunate people who like my job, sir. Got my first chemistry set when I was seven. Blew my eyebrows off. We never saw that cat again. Been into it ever since. All right. Yeah, he's my first snag. Um, I'm going to need a hint. Uh, Sean Connery also stars in this movie. Oh, shit. That's The Rock. Yep, that's The Rock. You you still got a point, man. You got a point. (laughs) Love that movie. All right, next one. I've had it up to here with your drama, so do me a favor and get the fuck out of my sight, okay? No, actually, I'll save you the trouble and get the fuck out of yours. That sounds very Nick Cage. Man, I, I feel like I know this. Like, I've seen this. I just can't place it. Yeah, give me a, give me a hint. Man, you're going to feel bad about this one, but we just talked about it. Literally, this is... We just talked... That's the hint? We just... Oh, fuck. Shit balls. We just talked like it's about what it. this. It's what this podcast is about. Wait, is it Color Out of Space? Is it... <laughs> it is. It's what he says to oh. his daughter. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I feel foolish. <laughs> one point. One point. All right, this one I had to use it, and I'm almost like I almost feel like I shouldn't count it because I I guarantee you haven't seen this movie. I definitely haven't, but I okay. had to use this. I had to use this quote. So I'll give you a hint. It'll be a free hint too. But the quote is, "What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table?" All right, is this? Uh, I think I is this bad lieutenant? Holy shit! How the fuck did you get that? Because I fucking seen that movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> this I is like bad that movie. Li- this is bad, Lieutenant. Yeah, you got it, man. It po- wait, let me, let me get a little extra. Is it Port of New Orleans or something? Is that the Port Port of Call? It's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you are you are too into Nick Cage, man. <laughs> you uh, you need to watch that movie. Is what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> Last two, and these are a bit obscure. All right. Okay. All right. Number nine. Here's something that if you want your father to think you're not a silly fuck, don't slap a guy across the face with a glove because if you do that, that's what he'll think. Unless you're a noble man or something in the 19th century, which I am not. I don't know this one. All right, give me give me a hint. The title of this movie is also uh, somebody that you might see on the news. It's like, all right, well, now we're going to go check in with this guy. Oh, oh, the, the weatherman. Weatherman, you got it. Yep. Yeah, I've seen that movie. That's a good movie. It is a good movie. I have seen it too, but I think I've only seen it once when it came out. All right, last one. Coffee and a muffin. Okay, so I need to establish the themes. Maybe a banana nut. That's a good muffin. Coffee and a muffin. Man, that could be any Cage movie. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need a hint. All right, so there's like two movies in his career especially that have been really highly regarded. And not only for the movie itself, but also his performance in it. Okay. And I think he got nominated for Oscars in both Leave, of these leaving, movies. Leaving Las Vegas. It's not. Vegas. No, I was no. I was Fuck. about to tell you, it's not the early one. It's the later one. Oh, what was the what was the later one? Because uh, after that, he started becoming an action hero. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Coffee and a muffin. Is it Face Off? No, it's Adaptation. Ah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've seen Adaptation. That's a good one, too. All right, man. You did really well with this one. You got 16 out of 20, dude. Oh, hell yeah. I'll take that. I'm a, I'm a cage connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The Review to Death podcast is written and produced by the both of us. We release new episodes on Mondays and Fridays. Thank you to Groove Witness for their use of their music. You can find them at GrooveWitness.us. Check out our written reviews at the link in the description and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Review to Death. Also send us emails at ReviewToDeath at gmail.com or, or use your computer or phone or whatever and leave us voice messages through our podcast hosting services. Uh, so thank you for listening. And Luke, tell us what's coming up next. Well, coming up next, we're excited to watch John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. That's pretty much all I got. Later, Gators.